You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. It's interesting the way that Joseph responds because Joseph sees the bigger picture. I want you to be able to see the bigger picture. I want you to see the circumstances that are going on right now in your life as God orchestrating them for your good. Even those things that it seems so hard, the things that even seem so dark, the difficulties that you're experiencing right now in your life. God has a plan and God has a purpose for those things. You know, it's hard to go through life experiences, a death in the family, maybe a child or a spouse. You stay awake at night asking God, why? And maybe not receiving an answer, or at least not an answer that satisfies you. You have to wonder if Joseph had those sleepless nights full of questions. In any event though, as Pastor Mike will be teaching, Joseph was trusting God for an outcome that he, Joseph, couldn't see. And even though that's really hard to do, this is the pattern for you to follow. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 40 as he continues his message, Our Circumstances, God's Opportunities. Joseph has sort of become like a mini-series within our series here in our studies in the book of Genesis. We've learned so many wonderful lessons as we've considered this man's life. But he began with Joseph being the favorite son of Jacob, who was envied by his brothers. Remember the coat of many colors, which represented that Joseph was his father's favorite, but he also stood in line to inherit all that his father had. And this created a great sibling rivalry between him and his other brothers. Also, adding to that rivalry between Joseph and his brothers, remember the dreams that Joseph dreamt, the sheaves in the field, and how that the sheaves of his brothers bowed down to his sheaf, which represented how that he would have preeminence over his brothers. And then another dream, and in that dream, the son and the stars are represented by his mom and his dad and how that they would bow down to him as well. Old Jacob didn't like that dream either. So all of these things only added to the fury of his brothers. And so with murderous intent in their hearts, on the occasion of Jacob sending Joseph down to see to his brothers who were tending to Jacob's flocks, they put this plan into motion, and they were going to kill 
their brother Joseph. Well, one of the brothers interceded on Joseph's behalf. They dug a hole. They threw him into the pit for a season while they considered what they were going to do to him. And then exactly in that moment, the Bible tells us that there was a bunch of Midianites, Ishmaelites, who were heading down to Egypt to trade their goods. And so it dawned on them, you know, rather than killing our brother, let's sell him into slavery. And so off Joseph goes as a part of this Midianite caravan heading towards Egypt. And then finally in Egypt, Joseph is placed upon the slave block, and he's purchased by a fellow whose name is Potiphar, one of the chief officers in the cabinet of the king or of Pharaoh. And so he actually enters into Potiphar's home and begins to serve Potiphar. And because of God's favor upon Joseph, he also has favor with Potiphar. But then the problem arised that Potiphar's wife wanted to seduce Joseph. And so day after day after day, seeking to do exactly that, but he wouldn't give in to those temptations until finally she cast everybody outside of the house and she thought she was going to force the issue. And she says, come lie with me. And she grabs hold of Joseph's raiment. Joseph wiggles out of this woman's embrace, runs out of the home naked. And then Potiphar's wife begins to claim that Joseph sought to rape her. And thus, you know how the story went. And Potiphar, trying to keep face, throws Joseph into prison. And that kind of brings us right up to the events leading up to chapter 40. And so while he's there in the prison, he connects with these two other high officials there in Egypt, chapter 40. Now listen, when you consider the progression of God's work, in Joseph's life, all of the circumstances leading up to chapter 40, only God could have scripted these circumstances. Isn't that true? You have to put God behind it. Everything that we've read up into chapter 40. And I want you to think about your own lives and the progression of your life and what God has done in your life since you're giving your life to Christ. But even before that, I think about my own experience and the things leading up to my giving my life to Christ, making that decision for Christ. God orchestrating all of the details. My brother Alde Ortega is here this morning. We went to high school together, grew up in Hoboken together. And sometime after the service, if you have an opportunity, speak with him and talk to him about the circumstances leading up to his giving his life to Christ. It's an amazing story and testimony. And it's just amazing what God has done. So only God could have scripted these circumstances for Joseph, but only God could have scripted those circumstances in our own experience as well. There's an interesting proverb in Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 21. You know, we go on and we're planning our futures and the direction of our lives, and then God gets involved, and sometimes it's sort of like a detour of what we wanted to experience, but nevertheless, that's the path that we want to travel along. And it's the path that's filled with blessings. In Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 21, there are many plans in a man's heart. Isn't that true? Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. It can never be defeated. So God was working in Joseph's life, and yes, 
at first glance, it seemed to be evil circumstances intended for Joseph's ruin, but each was a forward step in God's plan. You know, later on, after, in fact, Joseph being elevated to the position of prime minister, only second to Pharaoh in the land of Egypt, he disguises himself before his brothers. His brothers come down to Egypt to buy corn to sustain his family back home. And so Joseph disguises himself. He hadn't seen his brothers for a number of years. He's dressed in Egyptian raiment. And the Egyptians, even the male Egyptians, would wear makeup. So they didn't even know uh, who Joseph was when they stood before him. And Joseph is kind of messing around with them now. We'll get to this in one of our future studies. But after a while, finally, when he reveals himself to his brothers, and they're freaked out because, remember, they had betrayed their brother. They sold him into slavery. If it wasn't for one of the elder brothers, they would have actually killed him because of the murderous intent within their heart, the jealousy, the sibling rivalry. So when finally Joseph reveals his identity to his brothers, they think, oh, man, lights out for us. This is the end. But it's interesting the way that Joseph responds because Joseph sees the bigger picture. I want you to be able to see the bigger picture. I want you to see the circumstances that are going on right now in your life as God orchestrating them for your good. Even those things that it seems so hard, the things that even seem so dark, the difficulties that you're experiencing right now in your life. God has a plan and God has a purpose for those things. Okay, so what was Joseph's perspective on all of the things that had happened in his past? Well, it's recorded for us in the book of Genesis in chapter 50 and verse 20. And listen, I will develop an entire message around this one verse in one of our future studies. But in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, after he reveals himself, his true identity to his brothers, I'm your brother Joseph who you betrayed, who you sold into slavery. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. So whatever's going on in your life right now, you might be thinking, this is working against me. All of this is evil. Maybe even you're thinking the devil is behind this. Or the devil is using someone to assault you, to attack you. You're thinking that, all of what's going on in your life is for evil. But notice what it says. But God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. You see, if Joseph hadn't gone through the things that he had gone through, hadn't become the prime minister in Egypt, his family back home, his brothers, his dad, his mom, would have never been able to be sustained during the seven years of famine that we're going to be introduced to in one of our future studies as well. God was working. God was ruling and overruling in the affairs of mankind. You see that? Gang, listen. God is working for you. Don't worry. Don't fret. He rules and overrules the passions and decisions of men to accomplish what he has planned for you. And he's a good, good father. We sing that song here, don't we? He's a good, good father. And his intentions are for peace and blessing. And that's always true. Now, how did God go about this work 
in Joseph's life? Well, at this particular juncture, we have a pair of dreams. We haven't read the dreams yet. It's recorded for us here in chapter 40. We're going to read about them in just a moment. And both the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt had a dream forecasting what was to happen to each of them individually. Now, don't misunderstand. These were honorary titles. So the characterization of these men is sort of misleading here. You would think at first glance, we're only talking about a butler and a baker. But that wasn't the case at all. You see, these were honorary titles bestowed upon high noblemen who were close to the king. They weren't servants at all. What's also been suggested, and again, this is open to speculation, but it's also been suggested by reputable Bible teachers that these men held these titles in relationship to the roles they played in the worship of the Egyptian god Horus. They would bear the wine and carry the ceremonial bread to be used in certain ceremonies. So these weren't just servants. These were high officials within the realm of the king. Now, with that said, let's go ahead and consider the dreams that these two men dreamt. The first of which is the cupbearer. Now, his dream is recorded for us in verses 9 through 11, and then we have Joseph's interpretation in verses 12 and 13. So let's go ahead and read that text of Scripture. Let's begin in verse 9. Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches. It was as though it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Okay, so that's the dream that he dreamt. Now Joseph goes on to interpret that dream. So let's pick up now in verses 12 and 13. And Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former manner when you were his butler. If you put these two men alongside of one another, maybe something had taken, we don't really know what had taken place, and we don't know exactly how these men may have offended Pharaoh the king, but it seems as if, you know, one or two of them had done something. Pharaoh didn't quite know who was responsible for whatever had taken place. So he throws both of them into prison. But I guess here the cupbearer is exonerated. And so that's exactly what Joseph is telling him here. But then we have the dream that the baker dreamt. And that's recorded first in verses 16 and 17. So let's read about his dream. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said to Joseph, I also was in my dream, and there were three white baskets on my head. In the uppermost basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, and the birds ate them out of the basket on my head. Okay, so that was the dream that the baker dreamt. Now in verses 18 
and 19, Joseph interprets the dream. And so Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation of it. The three baskets are three days, and within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh from you. Wow. And listen, folks, both of Joseph's interpretations, in fact, came to pass. Because let's read on verses 20 through 22. Now, it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. Then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, even as Joseph had said, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Okay, now, before we go on, just a sidebar, sidebar here. Remember I had suggested in my opening statement that I could have given this message another title. And that other title could have been, What About Dreams? You know what? I think Christians have a habit of putting too much stock in the dreams that they dream, seeking to spiritualize them, as if God was speaking to them in dreams. So just a sidebar here, okay? Uh, now, I want you to be open to this, okay? And maybe some of you subscribe to that belief. So what are we to think about dreams? Well, first of all, let me say, certainly God was in these dreams here, the dreams that the butler and the cupbearer dreamt, no question about that, both in the giving of the dreams and Joseph in the interpretation of those dreams. So God was involved. God was involved in the dreams of this story here in chapter 40, going back to chapter 37. As I've already mentioned, the dreams that Joseph dreamt concerning his brothers and his, even his mother and father being subservient to Joseph, which, in fact, came to pass as Joseph later on becomes the prime minister there in Egypt. Chapter 37, verses 7 and 9. And then later on in our studies, as we move into chapter 41, we're going to discover how that Pharaoh himself dreamt a dream. And again, his dream had to do with seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine, and then Joseph's counsel to Pharaoh. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but God was in that dream as well. But this does not mean that God always speaks to us in dreams, or even that he does so at all in our present day. In fact, dreams have very little prominence in the scriptures. In fact, there's only a couple of places in the scriptures depicting dreams at all. Here in the book of Genesis, and then later on in the book of Daniel. In fact, in the New Testament, there's nothing said about dreams at all. It's rather visions. Like, for example, Peter in the book of Acts. Remember the vision that God had given to Peter about this great sheet that had come down from heaven with all of these unclean animals. God was about to do a new thing, grafting in the Gentiles. And remember the conclusion that Peter had come to, that which God has called clean, let no man 
refer to or say that it is unclean. But it all had to do with the grafting in of the Gentiles, you see. And it was a vision that was given to Peter. And then, of course, one of the greatest visions in the New Testament is probably the book of Revelation itself. Almost all of it in its entirety, given to John the beloved apostle, the same writer of the Gospel of John and the Epistles of John. The whole book is really, a, if you think about it, a, a vision that was given to him. And also, throw this into the mix, I want you to remember that the scriptures at this time, the full canon of scriptures, had not yet been collected. And so what conclusion should we come to? Well, I think that it would be wise for us to conclude that today's dreams are not revelations that come from God, though they may be accurate reflections of our subconscious state. But the truth of the matter is, I think, for the most part, they're born out of our fears, our anxieties, and our preoccupations. So we need to be very careful about this. And I think, again, as I mentioned before, there are, within certain Christian circles, too much stock is placed upon the dreams that Christians dream. And I'm not saying that God can't speak to us through dreams, but it would be very unusual, and we don't have any cases in point recorded for us in the New Testament. Well, anyway, thank you for allowing me to get that off of my chest. Anyway, the emphasis of this chapter is on the interpretation of these dreams by Joseph. And in that, there are a couple of final lessons here that I want to draw your attention to. The first of which is, I want you to notice, let's go back to chapter 40 now, in verse 8, the latter part of verse 8, I want you to notice how Joseph replies directly and boldly even before the dreams had been told him. Remember, he comes into the room where these two men are. It seems as if they're extremely troubled, kind of frazzled. He sees it on their faces, and he begins to question them, what's wrong? And then they go on to tell him about these dreams. Before they even have an opportunity to tell him what the dreams were, notice the way that Joseph responds. It's recorded first in the latter part of verse 8. He says, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. Now, what do we take away from this? Well, how confident is Joseph? You see, his confidence was in God. Joseph knew God, and he knew that he knew God. Thus, he fully expected God to make his counsels known to interpret these dreams. Okay, so how does this relate to you and to me? And where am I going with all of this? What's the point? Well, it's this. How powerful is the individual who knows God and knows that he knows God? In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. When you look back at your life, what moments stand out to you? There are probably some pretty great ones, getting married, having kids, graduations, and celebrations. But I imagine there are also a few you'd rather not remember. The ones that come back to run through your head at night as you try to fall asleep. When we take a look at the stories of some of the Genesis characters, we see it all. 
the good, the bad, and the ugly. These people you meet made their fair share of mistakes, but that didn't disqualify them from being used by God. God built a nation from human beings who were far from perfect. And guess what? He wants to use you too. God has a plan for your life, and you can faithfully follow Him in the way He has made for you. You can be forgiven of your sins and start fresh, remembering the faithfulness of God since the beginning of time. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today in the Word with Pastor Mike Venizio and in my Father's house. This program is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. Check us out online at harvestnyc.org. There you'll find service times and our easy-to-find location. We have easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. If you aren't close enough to drop by, you can find links to our online streaming and more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Thank you for joining us today. We're out of time for now, but come back and feast on the Word with us next time in My Father's House. Oh, my heart, not be troubled.